there is a way to listen to a sermon. And this morning, we're going to pray, and I'm going to uh, encourage you to consecrate your ears, to consecrate your heart to receive God's Word. Now, there can be many things that would distract us, that would make it difficult for us to hear. And I can be one of them. Or somebody else in this congregation. You could, you could have been offended by me. You may not like the way that I do things. In other words, you could totally miss God speaking to you, which is what you want. We want a word from the Lord. We want God to speak to us. But I can get in the way. So pray that you'll be able to get over me and hear God. It could be another person in this sanctuary. You walked in this morning and you see them and you can't get them or an offense or an issue off your mind. Pray that God would remove that distraction, me or them or an issue from your mind. And then secondly, don't let the outline mislead you. Don't, I know, it's very tempting to take out a pen or pencil and we encourage note taking with an open Bible, but don't tick off, okay, tick, go to the next thing, tick, go to the next thing. I may, and I frequently do, add additional acreage to what I'm trying to present to you, but this morning I might cut acreage. I want to be free to be led from my preparation in God's Word. So don't let yourself be distracted or bound by the outline. In other words, a consecrating prayer that we're getting ready to do right now and just take a second is a total surrender. God, remove anything that I may hear your Word. Anything, remove it for the next 25 minutes so that I completely even remove me out of the way that I, for the next 25 minutes, am surrendered to whatever you say. Now that's a big ask from a preacher's uh, standpoint, that you would be completely surrendered to whatever comes out of my mouth. But I'm asking this morning that your prayer is, Lord, your servant is listening. Your servant is listening. And if you have something for me, and you say your word does not ever return void, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, to me. All right, let's pray. You pray silently. Holy Spirit, I pray specifically to you this morning to do what we cannot do. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. To hear the Father's word and to see Jesus. For we surrender ourselves to you. In that name, Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's open up your Bibles to uh, John 17.
And if you notice, um, we just have three verses that we're looking at. But Jesus Christ begins in, in verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. And it's important, if you've not uh, been with us so far in this look, a fresh look at prayer and how we can pray, not simply study the theory of prayer, but how we can pray, that we believe that you learn how to pray really by not simply studying it or even hearing sermons, but by praying. And where we're going is at the end, the last point of this outline or the last point of the sermon is very practical. We're going to pray. And we're going to pray along with Jesus what he requests and what he's praying to the Father in verse 17, sanctify. Sanctify them. And our prayer is going to be, Lord, sanctify me. I consecrate myself, my mind, my body, my soul, my spirit again to you in prayer. And if you, he says, and do this on the basis of truth, because your word is truth. Go back to uh, the very first verse of John 17. I have lost. All right. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son. And that begins what's called the high priestly prayer. And in praying this prayer, he's basing it, it says, after he's finished speaking all of these words, now he prays. Um, where was Jesus when he prayed this prayer? I had an uh, opportunity to attend uh, Friday night uh, Franklin McGuire, who used to be a part of us here, Franklin McGuire's wedding rehearsal. And I was sitting, at, Wendy and I were sitting at a table, and there was a preacher, there was a, a, a professor of literature from the Citadel, and there was a theological professor from uh, Columbia International University. And I don't know how we got on it, I guess just preacher talk, theological talk, but it was like, what are you preaching on on Sunday? And I said, I'm preaching once again, we're walking through John 17, the high priestly prayer. And I just kind of looked at him with a twinkle in my eye and I said, where do you men think that he prayed this prayer? And they didn't venture, but they said, I don't know. Never thought about it. We tend to think that he prayed this, I think, a lot of us as disciples tend to think, well, he prayed this in the garden. But no, chapter 18 says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley. And then he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. And then from there he goes making his journey to Golgotha and the cross. He's in the upper room. And this prayer is built and based on the foundation of everything he's had to say in the upper room to his disciples. And before they leave that upper room, they are able to overhear Jesus praying for them. And that's why chapter 17 is quite long. I mean, it's a long prayer that is recorded because they heard it, it went to heart, 
And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they were able to record it for us. They overheard Jesus. They overheard His words. Now, if you go back, you would have to begin in John chapter 13 to begin to see the words that Jesus gave them. The words of truth. And I, I've got a long list. I mean, you can just start reading all the words in red. Okay, It's bloody red with the words of Jesus in between John 13 and John 18. A lot of words. But let me just give you uh, just a few. John 13, verses 15 through 17. For I have given you an example. He's just washed their feet. That you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant's not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. John 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. John 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Notice he's got this link going on between doing like I do, loving one another, now doing like I do, loving one another like I do, you're the servant, I'm the master, pray, ask, anything, no obstacles. It'll be given in the Father's name. That's an important link to make. That's what he's doing when he says, in verse 17, sanctify them, and to sanctify them, truth upon truth. Use your truth, my words to them, to ever sanctify them to you and to me. I want you to see that connection between our union with Christ and fellowship with Him and walking with Him and answers to prayer. John uh, James chapter 5 verse 16 and 17 says this. Alright, before I say this, James was the brother of Jesus. James would have observed Jesus pray many, many times. James knows how prayer works from looking at Jesus. And he gives us in verses 16 and 17 a tutorial on how to pray like Jesus. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power, or is effective, as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. What he is saying is that Elijah was not a superhero prophet, that God would hear his prayers and not hear yours. He emphasizes he was a man just like you, or a woman just like you. He, he was a 
to the flesh and blood, struggled with faith issues, struggled with doubts, struggled with depression, struggled with, with you know, his own obedient walk, but he was a righteous man. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. He, this is Jesus, himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What he's saying is, is that Christ died on a tree for the forgiveness of our sins. But in dying, he freed us from the power now of sin in our life that we might be righteous. Righteous not simply by being forgiven, but righteous by abiding and walking and living with him as his disciple. We can be righteous like Elijah. Are your prayers effective, powerful? Are you experiencing answers to prayer? Are you experiencing confidence that your prayers are heard as you patiently wait for an answer? Or is there a disconnect? And that disconnect is the gap in your communion, your intimacy, that you're apart, as it were, from your Savior. The way it works is that when we are set apart from Him, our prayers are less effective and powerless. And He tells us, as He did throughout these chapters over and over again, that we're to, John 15, we're to abide in Him, for apart from Him we can do nothing. James, uh, now we come and we look at John 17, and I can make a couple of observations. Observation number one. Sanctification is the act of God setting me apart for Himself. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The Westminster Confession of Faith, in chapter 13, paragraph 1, gives us a good explanation of how sanctification works. It gives us a, an opportunity to see what the actions of God are. Bear with me at the language. It could be unpacked, but we can't take time to unpack every word. Those who are effectually called and regenerated have a new heart and a new spirit created in them. 
they are additionally sanctified actually and personally by the power of Christ's death and resurrection and by His Word and Spirit dwelling in them. The power of sin ruling over the whole body is destroyed. And the desires of the old self are more and more weakened and killed. At the same time, the ability to practice true holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, is brought to life and strengthened by all the saving graces. The two words, actually and personally, the word for actually means that God himself sets us apart. He saves us, but he saves us for the purpose of being holy. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us, that's our salvation, in Him before the foundation of the world, that, for what end? That we should be holy and blameless before Him. Salvation is our union with Jesus Christ. Sanctification is our regular saving and salvation and communing with Jesus Christ. And if we are in union with Christ, but not in communion with Christ, then we are apart from Christ. And our prayer life, our conversational love life, of both speaking and listening, is disconnected. It's separated. The prayer of Jesus is that we would not be that we would be set apart over and over by his work. He continually intercedes. This prayer has not stopped. That we would continue to be set apart for a relationship with him. Continually. And the way that he does that is by his truth upon truth upon truth. Let me give you an example. I am married to Wendy. That is my union with Wendy. And nothing can change that. That is what has actually occurred. It's set in stone. My communion, though, my being, my, my being fully engaged in my marriage can at times be very strong and alive and on fire, but other times very, very weak. When our communion with Christ is weak, our conversational prayer life with Him is very, very weak and very, very ineffectual and powerless. We bring petitions to Him, but we want the answers to the prayer, but we don't want Him. But He doesn't quit praying for us that in this life we will be ever more and more and more sanctified. We will be drawn closer and closer to Him. 
He's a dissatisfied redeemer. He's not dissatisfied in us, but he's dissatisfied until he brings circumstances and issues and conflicts and challenges into our life that can have a sanctifying effect of where we say, wow, I don't need the world. I need Jesus. Jesus, take me again. Jesus, I surrender. I've drifted. Jesus, speak to me again. Jesus, speak to me. Truth upon truth. Jesus Christ has, is, and will always continue to pray for your new heart and your new life. And holiness is emerging in this new life that you have with Him because He's ever speaking to you and inviting you to give Him your heart afresh and anew. The word consecration. Consecration is the act of setting myself apart for Him. Consecration is where I do my part Sanctification is a two-sided coin. Jesus Christ says in verse 17, sanctify them. Father, you do this. You set them apart. You ever take on the ministry and the task through the Holy Spirit to remind them of your words, to speak to their heart, to show them of, my, of the love of my life, my death on their behalf, the power of my resurrection, the promise in the life to come. Father, sanctify them. Ever be renewing their mind. But then in verse 19, we see Jesus Christ modeling what He expects us as men and women to do as well. And for their sake, for their sake, I consecrate, I surrender, I set apart my life, myself, in order that they also may be sanctified in truth. The two sides of the coin of sanctification is that God is at work setting my life. He is not satisfied. He is not satisfied that I give my heart to lesser loves. He's not mad at me. He's mad at those tempters. But he comes in and he says, I'm a better lover and I will convince you that I am. I am a better father. I'm a, I'm a better Lord. And God is doing that through the medium of the Holy Spirit. But then the other side of the coin is my response. And my response is consecration where I give him my body in obedience and in purity. I give him mouth that I will not be a profane person. I give him all of my body, that I will not walk in sexual impurity. I, I give him my mind that I will continue to capture my thoughts, that they will be based on knowledge that will come to fruition in wisdom. I give him my soul, and I don't give my soul away to another. I give him what God is asking in consecration. He's asking as the Westminster, the Puritans and authors of the Westminster Confession of Faith would say, is the whole person. He wants me 
all in. He doesn't want my Sunday morning. He wants all of my life. Are you a consecrated person? When was the last time that you had consecrated prayer? This is new to me and Wendy. But now, every day, before she leaves for work, we will walk together to the door. And before she steps over the threshold into the world and into the workplace, I pray something like this. We hold hands and I pray, Lord, we need you. But we are yours. And you are our God. And we don't know what we're going to face this day. But we are surrendered again. And we consecrate ourselves to you. And we give ourselves over to you as our rightful Lord and God this day. Now lead us and show us the way to go that you would have us to go. For we are your servants. We are your son and daughter. Now if you think for a moment, you say, that self-righteous preacher, oh, he's just trying to show off. I don't pray that out of righteous you know, strength. I pray that out of humility and brokenness. I, make, I am a crummy God and Lord to myself. And I have proven that over and over again. But I get fired up. My soul begins to ignite again when I bend a knee to Jesus and say, you. And you direct me. And I'm, I know that you're going to direct me from your truth that's contained in the Scripture. But more importantly... The Holy Spirit, in a very mysterious way, can move and speak on our heart and speak to our heart, inviting it to fresh consecration and surrender through other people. Through sermons, through Bible studies, through just that still small voice, through what we call the means of grace, through the table that we're getting ready to enjoy, through, certainly, prayer. As we speak to God and He speaks to, himself, to us. Guys, this is serious. If you have not been experiencing prayer, if prayer has just become futile or irrelevant, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. I've tried it. It doesn't work. God doesn't reveal Himself and He doesn't speak to men and women that are not surrendered to Him. He doesn't reveal himself to casual, curious observers or people that simply come to him with petitions. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, that's a bending of the knee to Him. Not my will, not my kingdom. Now let's start from there. My petitions and the things that I'm praying take on a, a different light when I'm completely surrendered to Him. Maybe I've been so fiercely holding on to what the answer must look like that I've never been surrendered first to Him that I would trust Him with what the answer really needs to be. Jesus prays it here. And He's praying for us now. A couple of applications. There are two takeaways. Number one, I need 
Jesus to pray this for me every day. I need sanctification because I'm in the world. Jesus Christ is sending these disciples out in the world. He says so there in verse 18. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. If you go back to verse 14, he says, I've given them your word. This is the equipment. I've given them your words. Words of hope and words of guidance and words of forgiveness, words of acceptance. I've given them words of, of, of your sovereignty and all of your attributes. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world just as I'm not of the world. In other words, he's saying, I'm sending them in to a hostile world. And I'm sending them in so sanctify them. Set them apart. Keep them close to me. Keep them close to us. Keep our words speaking. Just keep us as close as the disciples that I'm leaving now are close. We know in John 20 that in verse uh, 20, in verse 21 and 22, he says, this is when he's come back after the resurrection and he's getting ready to ascend soon. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. We are in a world that is not the kingdom of God. But our union and our citizenship is in the kingdom of God. And as Augustine said, these two kingdoms are not only different, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God, but they're at war. Again, the Westminster Confession of Faith. The old sinful nature retains some of its control in body, mind, and spirit. And so a continual and irreconcilable war goes on in every believer. The old nature tries to get its way in opposition to the spirit, and the spirit fights to assert its authority over the flesh. That's why your soul is at war. And here's what the cost is. Separation from Jesus. Separation from His words that bring us life, that show us the way. That's what the enemy wants to do. They can no longer get your soul. But there's a war on. And it is continual, and as long as we live, irreconcilable. And the spirit of the flesh, you, to use Paul's language, and our spirit, the Holy Spirit within us, are constantly at war. And the Holy Spirit comes to us continually in answer, I believe, to Jesus' prayer here that he continues to pray in the heavens, be set apart. Remain. Don't, don't commit treason. Don't leave the kingdom of God. Don't, don't let, if you leave, don't leave. Stay. For this is where the captain of your faith is. This is where your beautiful master is. He's ever speaking to our heart in this war to strengthen us 
to abide and to remain. And then secondly, I receive sanctification by asking for it. That's the prayer of consecration that I spoke about earlier. And we're getting ready to do that. What is at stake here is again, am I in right relationship with God in whom I have union with in Jesus Christ? And like the first disciples, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit who comes to us and who's ever faithful, ever faithful to do what the scriptures teach us in Ephesians 5, which is to, verse 26, sanctify her, that's the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I find it, I find it very inspiring that Jesus told Peter, you will betray me, but I am praying for you. And I have prayed for you to be faithful. And I have prayed for you that when found unfaithful, that you return, and with that you strengthen the brethren. So brothers, Jesus is praying for us. And he's praying for us not to simply to go out and, and, and be freshly inspired for obedience. He's not asking for a pledge of allegiance simply to a list of rules and do's and don'ts and don't smoke and don't drink and don't curse. And though he's not, that's not what he's asking for first. What he's asking for is your heart. He's saying, I want you. Father, separate them from these other things so that our hearts are together. And use your word over and over again to draw them, to draw them in, to draw them back, and to keep them. And I find it very, very inspiring that that promise is being kept and will be, to ke will be kept. And it inspires me to give him my heart. And it's not a one-time, one-and-done experience. There's seasons where we have really drifted. But today, today, in this new season of a new year, I want to invite you to freshly surrender your heart to Him again. And it, it may sound something like this, God... I set apart and surrender myself, body, mind, and soul to you. And we're going to do this silently. And we're only going to take a couple of minutes, and then I'm going to close us and invite you to the Lord's table.
But in those couple of minutes, it's only going to take a second to read that sentence. But with an open eye, would you look at that? And if you get, when you get to the word body, be more specific. What does it mean to set your body apart to God alone and not the world or your own way? What does it mean to set your soul or your mind or your spirit apart to Him? What does it look like for you? Where is there work to be done in surrendering to Him? He pauses at this moment. He's at work. And now He invites us to consecrate ourselves to Him. Let's bow our heads and let's do that. Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ set His life apart for you and in you. He set His body, His mind, His soul apart for you. And He invites all those that would follow Him to abide with Him. But to abide with Him is to not abide with others. To abide with Him is to be set apart. Would you speak to our heart that with you there is life. Some of us have been praying for joy to return in our life. For joy in you is our strength. But there's no joy in doom and gloom and worry and depression, fear and anxiety. Would you show us that the answer to that prayer begins by us once again bending the very knees of our heart to you and returning to you as our first love. To light our heart aflame again for you. And then look at these petitions. Perhaps the very thing that we've been praying for that we think will give us meaning or significance or joy or peace. Really, it's not the thing for this missing year. So Lord... Once again, we give you our body, we give you our soul, and we give you our mind. And we know that you, this is your purposes, and to this end you've called us. And we are yours, and you are ours, now and forever, through the very words and the work of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and our Lord. Amen.